I ask yeah. many refugees, they have the same uh, nightmare. Really? You wake up in the, the country, like for example, me, Algeria, and I don't have my passport with me. I'm like, how did I come here? And you start to remember, ah, oh, now I need to save money again. I need to go through the sea again. It's horrible. And do you know, I saw, uh, I saw Dog. He was responsible for the police. I was like, what? The? Dog, why are you <laughs> sending me back? Really, I don't know why your face was there. <laughs> ah. Welcome to the second part of uh, our Fractured podcast on the situation on Lesbos. We are talking to two experts uh, that give us an overlook of the current situation on the island. We have Lorraine Leet with us, who's a lawyer and coordinator of Legal Center Lesbos. And we have Silvia Lucibello, who is a field coordinator at Parea uh, Community Center. And she is also a member of Europe Cares. Welcome very much back to the show here uh, <laughs> so to both our guests our amazing guests so in 2015 this wave of refugees start coming to the islands and the locals welcomed them with open arms and they helped them eight years later that changed uh, completely so i want to know what created this mess and who's responsible for this change you want to go first sylvia i can start um okay. I think it is really difficult to find one reason why this happened. I think it's a very complex uh, uh, question, uh, although a very interesting one. Um, I think one of the biggest problems was the way the situation was handled. Uh, so the feeling from the local community was that the situation was not being handled, uh, was not under control. And you could see this because actually the number of arrivals were super high. Uh, at some point there were 500,000 uh, people in an island of 100,000 people. So the numbers were really, really high on an island, which it is true, it's always been a place where uh, migrants were coming because of its proximity to, the, to Turkey, because of its posi position in the Aegean Sea, but still it was a small Greek island um, that was clearly not uh, ready for this and the situation was handled uh, exactly in a controlled way. I think the feeling of the local commu community uh, was that, first of all, this was a situation which was not under control and was a very protra uh, protracted situation. It didn't just last for a few months, but it continued for years. And I think there was always this feeling of being left alone. Uh, as an Italian, I think this is a feeling that I can understand because it's a very common feeling, I think, among the southern European countries. The feeling that in the end the problem is left to you. Uh, that we talk a lot about European solidarity, but the reality is that uh, very often southern countries are those, uh, due to the Dublin system, left to having to deal with uh, uh, new arrivals, having to deal with uh, um, the um, the procedure of uh, the, the request for international protection and in the meantime having to um, 
yeah, to navigate the situation. So I think this was uh, a feeling that was uh, shared by many, also in a situation where um, many uh, Greeks were also uh, still recovering from the economic crisis, so not necessarily in the best uh, situation. And uh, the problem to me is also that the local community didn't feel particularly um, heard or listened uh, when then certain decisions were made, when new policies were applied. It felt, I, I believe it felt a lot that these were things that were uh, just decided from above them without ever consulting and uh, trying to understand what were the feeling of the local community and how to also uh, create a system that would also consider them and would make it possible to collaborate together. Uh, so I think this built up, there were a lot of uh, uh, frustrations that built up and probably they, they never felt like anybody actually cared about what they thought, uh, how they felt and um, it's just a situation that at some point exploded. Uh, when you have then the fascist attacks from many people from the island, but also people traveling from Greece and uh, actively attacking uh, camp residents, but also people being in solidarity to migrants uh, in the beginning of 2020. Um, so yeah, I believe it's uh, many different points. Uh, in a certain way, I understand the local community. I understand from where this is coming. Uh, I think many things could have been done differently. And I believe that right now the feeling is mostly of tiredness. Uh, very often when I speak with the locals, I feel that they are not even interested in this topic anymore. They don't want to know if there is still a camp. Uh, some of them are even happy uh, if the Vastra camp is built because uh, out of sight, out of mind, uh, and generally they don't seem to be so much uh, uh, bothered anymore by this topic. Um, but I do believe that uh, it would be great if it would be possible to find another way also involving the local community and really uplifting them uh, because they've been really a, a great help at the very beginning of the crisis and they've given a huge uh, proof of uh, how, how charitable and uh, helpful they can be when, uh, when there was a huge need. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think Sylvia has explained all the different dimensions and why it's so complex. And of course, you know, the lo local population is not a homogenous population. There's, there are still uh, members of the, and groups from the local population who are still in solidarity with migrants. So, um, yeah, it's always difficult to talk about a, a population as if it's a homogenous uh, uh, group. Um, just to add a few points, I mean, I think uh, what is what is clear, and Sylvia already mentioned it, is that this this was a created uh, crisis by European Union policies, which were then implemented by Greece of trapping people on the island. So I think also in two thousand fifteen, beginning of two thousand sixteen, when there was a lot more solidarity, it, Lesbos was also it was a as a transit zone, so people were passing through island, but they. Uh, passing through the island, but they weren't forced to stay here, so you didn't see the same um, resentment, uh, growing tensions, building up of people who were trapped on the island sometimes for years, um, and the growing population of the people being trapped here, which reached uh, you know a peak of over twenty thousand people at the beginning of two thousand twenty, which was a direct result of uh, the new Greek government policy of stopping any transfers from the islands, which happened through the last half of 2019 and led to this kind of explosion of, of, uh, uh, of the po local population against, which was uh, against the migrant population and those in solidarity with them. Um, and I think this was a misdirected um, resentment. It's always easy to scapegoat foreigners, 
um, for problems which are actually created by, by the government. And uh, this happened as well because of uh, local political leaders who actually stoked this resentment and directed people's um, anger at the situation, at the economic crisis that they were facing towards uh, a foreign population, which is what we see uh, in many places of the world with the rise of far-right um, fascist uh, regimes that are are using uh, the economic crisis to, to threat um, towards uh, implementing more and more anti-migrant policies. Um, there's a lot more that can be said, but uh, I think Sylvia covered uh, most, <laughs> most of those issues as well. Sylvia, I want to go back to you um, and ask you a little bit about uh, the situation with the new camp. So uh, you guys in Parea, you basically face uh, the current camp, uh, the Mavrovuni Reception Center, uh, but the government is uh, planning to open a new camp. The construction has started. We know that there are legal challenges to it, and, and maybe I will ask more uh, about this uh, to Lorraine in a moment. But Sylvia, I would like to know also from you, from your perspective, the community you're uh, serving, what is your position on this new camp, which is pretty far away from where you are now? What are you hearing from people uh, who may be moved to this very remote place? First of all, there is a lot of fear and uncertainty, which generally I think is one of the most common feeling when you are uh, a part of people on the move, when you apply for asylum in Greece. Um, there are a lot of different rumors uh, about when the camp will be open, whether it will be open and how it will look like. Uh, people are really confused. They don't know what to expect. They don't know whether this will happen. But everybody sees this as uh, generally a worsen, uh, a, a worst case scenario because it means moving very far away from the major uh, city on the island, Mitilini, where you also have access to the only hospital of the island and uh, many uh, basic needs that all of the, uh, all many of the camp residents need. Um, and it also means having a lot of difficulties in traveling because uh, we know that uh, the transportation on Lesbos and generally in Greece is not the best. Um, by car, it's going to take up to one hour, by bus even longer. Not everybody has the financial possibility to buy a ticket and go anytime they want They want to go. And most importantly, it's not going to be clear even uh, if people will be allowed to go out and how and when. Uh, because again, it's going to be a highly, highly militari militarized camp with a lot of surveillance, with cameras everywhere. Uh, it's not going to be so easy to go out anymore. And this means that the presence of NGOs will also be lowered. Uh, these are things that people fear because already um, in, the, in the camp, in the Mavrovuni camp, since it was registered as a CCAC, Closed and Controlled Access Camp, uh, in January of this year, we could see a huge change in the way things were dealt. Many NGOs were kicked out of this camp and other camps uh, in, uh, in Greece in general because they're not registered with the Minister of Migration, which meant a gap in the basic needs and generally psychosocial support and medical support that were never filled in by uh, the government or any other uh, state authorities. And uh, this also means that when you don't have NGOs inside, you also have less people that are witnessing what's going on and what kind of violations are being committed by the police, by the um, by the um, 
the security service and all the authorities that are inside. So generally people are really, really scared. They don't know what to expect. They don't know when this will happen and there is a fear. Uh, whenever we start to talk about Kambastri again, there are news, everybody starts to think about, okay, I want to leave, I want to go to the mainland or anywhere else uh, in Greece because uh, nobody wants to be moved there. Um, and this also creates a huge uh, uncertainty for us, for the NGOs working outside of the camps. Most of us uh, either cannot go in the camp because we lack the uh, registration and all the administrative uh, um, aspects that were required, but also for political reasons. For instance, Europe Cares is not interested in working inside of uh, a prison like camp, like Mavrovuni or Bastia. Uh, and at the same time, we don't know uh, what's going to happen. If the new camp is going to be open, obviously all our operations will need to be uh, reconsidered, reconsidered, replanned, and this makes it really difficult to, to plan ahead and to really make sure that uh, we are there for the people when they need it and in the way they need it, which is our core mission. Um, so yeah, really complex situation, both for people on the move and people in solidarity with them. Lorraine, very fast to you. Uh, uh, if you have this knowledge uh, about Vastria, the camp, actually the road to the camp was legally challenged in the court, right? Uh, do you have any additional information about that? Um, yeah, not just the road to the camp, but the camp itself. And actually the latest court decision regarding that was from the highest administrative court in Greece, which found that there wasn't the proper environmental impact assessment for the camp itself and that construction should be suspended. Um, but what the Ministry of Migration announced uh, the next day, I think even, or maybe the next week, was that construction would continue, that they would have all of the um, assessments in place by the time it was operational, and that this camp, which by the way, is uh, the European Commission is holding this camp as, as, as if it's a model camp. So it has all of the political, um, uh, support as well of the European Commission that this camp will open, um, that it will be operational, despite even court decisions uh, saying that they don't have the proper environmental impact assessment. And this environmental impact, environmental impact assessment is especially uh, important in this case uh, because they're building this camp in the middle of a pine forest. In the middle of a pine forest, which every year there's forest fires in, in Greece, as which you know make the international news because of the devastation they cause. Fires are inherent in refugee camps. I mean, this is something we've seen over the years that uh, because of there's always a lack of access to electricity, there's always a lack of access to edible food, uh, there's always tensions caused by incarcerating people in concentrated conditions. Um, this leads to, to fires in all of these scenarios. So imagine that in the middle of the largest pine forest on the island, they're building a refugee camp, which um, could cause serious uh, environmental destruction and destruction uh, of human life of everyone who's, who's forced to live there. Um, just a, another comment on that, that uh, as part of European migration policy, why this camp is, is so important is uh, not only that it will be continued uh, de detention, de facto open-air prison for people arriving here, but they're also within this camp have announced that there will be capacity for over 2,000, uh, maybe even 3,000 people to be detained awaiting uh, deportation. So this means inside the camp there will be also be, be a detention center with the express purpose of holding people until they're deported to Turkey. Um, so this, this is actually the future we, we uh, 
are, are trying to fight against, which which seems like it's inevitable um, in the next in the next year on the island. It's a prison inside the prison. I think what's pretty that interesting is that the local community is actually against this. And there have been uh, several uh, protests uh, where actually you saw different sides of the of the story coming together. So you had from one side the people in solidarity, and on the other side the people that are mostly against the idea of having migrants and refugees on the island in general. And they came together in several protests in the past. And I, I find it really interesting that there is this very strong political will to impose this decision and to make it happen. And uh, uh, almost 80 million euros of uh, uh, the European Union were invested in it, but at the same time you have a very strong voice from the local community that is very much against it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just being silenced or completely ignored, despite the fact that in the past there were a lot of tensions between the local community and uh, the camp residents, and uh, that ended pretty badly, especially in 2020. So yeah, uh, that is also an, um, an unfolding uh, uh, crisis that uh, we might see uh, escalating uh, if the new camp is open, I think. The discussion is uh, absolutely fascinating, interesting and super informative. Uh, so I'm very sad to say that we have to take a super short break and we mm -hmm. will be right back. Parea Lesbos is a safe space for people on the move, especially residing in the refugee camp on Lesbos, but also more generally any members of the local community that might be in need. And first of all, Parea, as the name itself in Greek means, is a community, a circle of friends, a company. For us, Parea is a space where people can come freely, they're always welcome, our gates are always open, and they can find a place where people stand in solidarity with them. Not only they can have access to basic needs, education, psychosocial and legal support, but they can also, first of all, find a place where people are there to listen to them, to support them, and to remind them that they are people, first of all before being refugees, migrants, asylum seekers, or any other label that might be used to describe them. We want to remind them, first of all, that they are human beings, and as such, they, are, uh, they deserve care, love, and attention like anyone else. Uh, Sylvia, Lorraine, we were talking about uh, the situation with the new camp, but since we're there, I want to ask you a little bit about the old camp. So Lorraine, Moria, the infamous Moria camp on Lesbos uh, that burned down. Uh, you guys are engaged in a legal representation of uh, people, several uh, Afghans who have been arrested for, mm -hmm. this, um, for this event. And I'm going to give it straight to you. I have very strong opinions on that. We, we participated in several um, actions to document the situation. What is the situation on this trial right now? Um, yes, yeah, so lawyers from our office are actually representing the six Afghan teenagers who were arrested that time. Um, they have all been convicted of, of arson with risk to human life. Um, two of them were tried as minors, so they were two people who the Greek state recognized were under 18. Uh, one has now been released. Um, on, they already had their appeal trial, the two who were arrested as minors. Um, on appeal, it was confirmed again their, their guilty conviction. So they had their sentence reduced uh, somewhat, but they were still found guilty of 
of having uh, caused this fire. Um, and I'll get a bit to the evidence against them, which is really minimal um, and not credible. Um, one has now been released. The other has been released from prison, but he actually hasn't been released. He's not free because he was immediately transferred from prison, uh, criminal detention, to administrative detention as an asylum seeker. Um, as uh, on one of the grounds of detention for, for people seeking asylum in Greece is if you're thought to be a public security risk. Um, this means people who uh, sometimes have no criminal charges against them or who have already served their prison time, which is dictated by the state, as was the case in, uh, for this individual. He's already finished his prison sentence, but he's still not free because the Greek authorities now are saying he's a risk uh, to public security. Um, so he's now in, a, in the administrative detention center for migrants um, on mainland Greece. Uh, the procedural case of the minors we've appealed to the Supreme Court. Um, we're awaiting a decision from the Supreme Court, but we're not too optimistic because the prosecutor of the Supreme Court um, uh, reconfirmed what the lower two courts said, uh, found that these two people should be found guilty. So we're not too optimistic, but uh, pending this decision, we also intend to take it to the European Court of Human Rights because these uh, two individuals and also the other four, whose procedural case I'll get to in a minute, um, they were convicted, uh, all of them, based on, except for one, based on the testimony of one individual who was the Afghan community leader at the time, uh, one of the Afghan community leaders at the time, who gave uh, six uh, common first names and said these are the six people who are, who are um, guilty of setting the fire. And uh, this person, he disappeared after giving this testimony to the police. Um, there are people who said he was transferred very quickly off the island um, and that he's now in Germany. Um, but uh, he never appeared again in court. So these people were convicted based on a written testimony that was signed by him. Um, his, the lawyers from our team were not able to cross-examine him. Um, he was... Uh, from a different ethnic minority of those who were convicted. All six of the teenagers are Hazara, um, and they were uh, targeted uh, by someone who uh, is from an ethnic uh, um, majority in Afghanistan who is also persecuting Hazara in, in Afghanistan. So it's a very complex issue, but uh, just, just to say that there would have been other motives for him to potentially name these six people other than the fact that he saw them set a fire. And uh, the fact that this is very, um, it's a very flimsy evidence in order to send people to prison for many, many years. There was no other evidence um, which uh, showed that these six uh, teenagers had, had set the fire besides this testimony. Um, one, of, one of the other six was convicted on the basis of a police officer testimony who um, said that he could recognize the boy from the back, uh, based on a video that was taken of, of the boys going, getting onto a plane when many of the unaccompanied minors were being uh, evacuated from the island following the, the fire. And he said he recognized him based on his haircut. I mean, this is something that we joke about because in Mordia, everyone talks about the Mordia haircut. Of all the young uh, uh, men and boys in, in Mordia had the hair shaved on the sides, a little bit longer on top. And to say that you can recognize someone based on this haircut is really ridiculous for anyone who knows anything about, about Moria. Um, so back to what has happened procedurally for the other four. Uh, they were tried as adults, despite the fact that three of them were actually minors, had uh, national identity documents and some even passports from Afghanistan showing that they were minors. 
but the Greek authorities, and again Frontex, as we mentioned earlier, had registered them as adults, despite this fact. Um, we've now gotten birth certificates certified from the Afghan embassy in, in Athens, confirming that they were minors when they, when they um, were arrested. Um, but we haven't been able to even present this evidence because after their conviction, uh, in the first instance in which they were sentenced, uh, the appeal has been, has been uh, repeatedly uh, postponed. So we haven't been able to postpone uh, to present this evidence showing that, um, that they were actually minors, so were tried in the wrong court. Um, and also the very important evidence which Refocus Media also contributed to, uh, which was a reconstruction of the fire, um, which used all of the footage that you and your team collected during the fire, which was placed, uh, which was uh, pieced together by forensic architecture and actually demonstrated that what this one witness had testified in terms of where the fire was um, and where these boys were when they supposedly set the fire, that this actually couldn't have happened because of all the different uh, video evidence that was collected by, by your team, which demonstrated in which areas of the camp the fire actually started and given the wind conditions this night, how it spread to other areas of the camp, which, which demonstrated this that even further than the the other reasons why we have reason to doubt this testimony, showing that this evidence, this testimony couldn't couldn't actually be what what happened this night. So, both of these very important pieces of evidence we're still waiting to present. And meanwhile, these four um, young men are still in in, in prison. Um, now the the trial has been postponed. The appeal trial has been postponed to March this coming year. So we hope that again we can get the kind of international attention and international monitors. Um, so that these, uh, these young men can hopefully finally uh, be freed. Um, but uh, this case, I think, demonstrates a, a lot of things about the problems of, of the criminal justice system here in Greece, um, but also shows how the government is very quick to scapegoat um, migrants for, for crimes that are actually crimes of the state. Um, so, I mean, we all know Mori itself is the crime, not uh, the fire that destroyed it. Um, and uh, this is, you know, swept under the rug and new camps are built and we see the same problems resurfacing. Um, but, I mean, I think that looking at the analogous uh, situation of the disaster, the massacre of over 600 people this summer in, the, in a shipwreck in, in, uh, off the coast of Greece, um, again, in this case, it was nine survivors, people who survived this horrible shipwreck, which so many people were killed in who are now facing criminal charges for the shipwreck when all the evidence that's, that's coming out is showing that it was actually Greek authorities who contributed to this uh, shipwreck by not conducting search and rescue activities and maybe even caused uh, the boat to, to sink by attempting to tow it in, in what is very consistent, which is policy at sea, of trying to tow people back to Turkey, push people back, uh, prevent people from arriving to safety. When it comes to the fire of Moria, I would very much like to encourage people who are interested in it to check our um, episode uh, four of season two, which where we are actually discussing with forensic architecture the whole process uh, of how they investigated it. In the show notes, if, if anybody's interested, you can see the piece that forensic architecture made. And we actually named this uh, that episode Disaster Designed, because Moria was designed for a disaster uh, like that. Absolutely. Uh, I have a question for Sylvia. I, I read lately uh, an article where they interviewed a nurse that volunteered with uh, an NGO there, and she said that the worst medical issues she, she sees 
among refugees is PTSD because of the traumatic journey, because of the issues there. Is there any psychological help for these people? I know of an NGO that's called Epopsy. I don't know if they are there or not. I know they are in Samos, but I don't know if they are in Lesbos. Sorry, say it again, the name of the organization. Uh, Epopsy. Epopsy. No, I don't think they're present on Lesbos. Um, as long as I know on Lesbos, there are five to six organizations that are offering uh, psychosocial support uh, to different target groups. Um, and as you very well said, uh, generally there is a huge need for this kind of support. Uh, so yeah, generally there are many kind of uh, uh, different situations in the camp, but uh, all, all uh, the camp residents or most of them are, are in real need of uh, psychosocial support. Uh, there are different uh, obstacles though. First of all, that the numbers are as high as uh, more than 4,000 people. So of course there's never gonna be enough support for all of them. Uh, many organizations at the moment are trying to do their best and uh, offering especially uh, support to people that uh, might be uh, going through suicidal attempts or more kind of severe conditions. However, very often there is not enough for everyone. Um, at the same time, some NGOs are also downsizing or leaving the island, meaning that the capacity is even lower. Uh, we found ourselves in a situation where, especially in the last months, we saw a lot of uh, difficult situations. Uh, we mostly work in Parea with uh, single men, uh, which is a very interesting category because very often they're not considered vulnerable uh, people. They're always uh, a little bit uh, left at the end of the supply chain of the um, humanitarian and generally um, any kind of uh, um, support that is offered. However, they're in huge need as well. Um, and the difficulty with uh, single men or generally men is that very often they uh, are struggling to ask for help. Uh, because there is a huge stigma around mental health as well in their uh, home country, in their uh, cultures. Um, however, what we realize is that there, there is a huge need for that and that very often there is not enough offer, there is not enough capacity. Uh, we uh, uh, recently had to refer several uh, situations that uh, uh, were um, suspected uh, uh, suicidal um, cases. However, the reply was that unless we are 100% sure that these people want to commit suicide, we cannot refer them, um, let's say, to, to the medical actors, but they have to wait, uh, they have to keep in line and wait for their, for their turn, which is also absolutely understandable when NGOs are dealing with so much, when there are only two doctors in the camp and uh, absolutely not enough uh, um, uh, workers and, and, and uh, generally capacity as needed. Uh, but at the same time, this creates also a huge, uh, um, worry to all of us. Uh, uh, we in our center see so many difficult situations every day and we try to refer, we try to uh, signal this to our uh, colleagues, but very often we know that there is not enough capacity to help everyone. Um, and uh, for instance, recently we also received some uh, um, requests from uh, some medical actors asking us to help them as much as possible, for instance by developing some kind of exercises or courses to help people uh, deal with psychosomatic pain. So a lot of people are having this kind of pain but because the situation is not so severe there is not enough uh, uh, capacity to support them. So we're also being asked, despite not being medical, let's say, experts, we are being asked as much as possible to support uh, and we're trying to do so. But um, yeah, everybody is in need and there will never be enough support for everyone. 
there is a very ugly reality and there is also always the, the fear that uh, disclosing certain information might uh, have negative consequences on the legal case so there is also a lot of resistance which is really difficult to uh, help people open up so in general I think that it is really important as part of our work in our community center is also to create a space where people can feel comfortable and uh, like they can open up and they can ask for help uh, and there is for them always the possibility to uh, refer them to someone else and uh, do our best to support them. And I would just add to that if you're, if you're finished, Sabine. Yes, sure. Um, just that, I mean, cause, because you mentioned at the beginning uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, this is something that we've consistently see develop uh, on the island for people who are forced to live here not everyone who passes through a trauma develops PTSD, but if you pass through a trauma and you don't have a safe, structured environment around you that allows you to process that trauma and to heal from that trauma, you will develop PTSD. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but this is, I mean, you know, generalizing a lot on how PTSD develops, but it's no surprise that people who, everyone who arrives here, um, across the sea from, from Turkey has passed through a traumatic event just because the journey itself is traumatic. Um, and then you're put in a camp with all the conditions that Sylvia was describing earlier. It is uh, almost inevitable that you will develop PTSD because you don't have a safe uh, environment to process what has happened to you and what you've gone through. Um, so this, uh, this is actually something that's caused not by the trauma that people have have already arrived here with, but because of the conditions people are forced to live in when, when they are here. Thank you very much for uh, clarifying this situation for us. I want to remind everybody that uh, volunteers on Lesbos uh, in the north, in Scala Sekamena, were uh, at some point nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for their activity for refugees, for the fishermen who were taking, taking their, bo their boats out in the sea and bringing um, refugees back to the shore were nominated for this uh, Peace Prize. And uh, with everything that is going on right now, we also cannot forget about this beautiful uh, gesture of solidarity. Thank you very much uh, for joining us for this episode. We would like to remind everybody about the thumbs ups and comments uh, to help us fight the algorithm on Spotify, um, uh, YouTube, uh, also they can Amazon suggest, podcast. They uh, can suggest topics that we could yes, yeah, and uh, speak about. Yeah, We would like to encourage everybody, write us in a comment, what would you like us to talk more about, uh, go deeper into certain uh, subjects. We would be very happy to invite guests uh, to our studio or online to join us. And of course, remember about our fundraising campaigns. You will find links uh, to them in the show notes. We will very, very greatly appreciate your support. See you next time. Lesbos cameras too, <laughs> both. Yeah. Okay. Sound is speeding. Action. Okay, Doug out of the picture. Action.